If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 9 tonight. We are going to be uh, kind of changing gears a little bit in our study. Uh, last week in Romans 8, and then again, I guess it was Sunday night, we covered uh, Romans chapter 8, talked about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works. There is a whole lot more to study on those topics, but uh, we're going to move on to the next section. But I loved and I appreciate so much your response uh, to those two lessons on the Holy Spirit in Romans 8. Um, every time that we come up with a difficult topic uh, or a subject that we want to learn more about, the Bible is full of Scripture that can be discerned. And so I want to encourage you, anytime there's a difficult topic or if you've got a really good Bible question, s- seek it out. Find the answers. And if, uh, if I can help you anyway, I would love to do that. I, I love talking about the Bible. I can do it all day long. I, it's my job. So, But I love to talk about the Bible. We need to spend time in God's Word studying subjects like uh, the Holy Spirit and helping our, our walk and also encouraging other people. So we move now to chapter 9, a unique section of Scripture where Paul is going to show us uh, what God's thoughts are concerning the Jews. Now, I know that this is a very difficult time in our world, uh, and I know that this is a subject that's a little sensitive, but it's in our text, so we're going to have to cover it. Uh, and that is that in the Old Testament, God was very careful uh, plotting and planning a way to provide the chosen people, the Israelites, and then on into the New Testament, the Jews, with a path towards salvation. Uh, He did that providing sacrifices and certain systems that would be in place during the wilderness and then leading up to their time in Jerusalem that would keep them safe, but also would preserve within these families the chosen race, the seed that would lead to Jesus. Uh, And so time and time again, as we go through Scripture, and the Old Testament is a whole lot thicker than our New Testament, Uh, We see God's planning, his provision. We see him taking care of his chosen people until the time that Jesus could come and die uh, for the sins of all. Uh, Romans 9 is going to show us, and there are a couple other places where Paul does this, Galatians and and other other texts, that what God did was by providing uh, this plan for Jesus to come, it was so that at the end, when Jesus dies on the cross, that there won't be one specific family, tribe, tongue, nation that is seen as his only chosen people. The New Testament reveals to us uh, early on in Jesus's ministry, uh, he'll talk about how, you know, you say you're children of Abraham, but God could raise up from these rocks children of Abraham. That's something John the Baptist preached too. 
But um, what, what the New Testament reveals is that God is trying to bring all nations together into his church. Now, we can go back to the prophecies of the church and see this. We can go back to Isaiah. Uh, we can go to Micah. Uh, we can go to Daniel 2 and talking about how the stone would come and crush that final uh, kingdom, which is the feet that are iron mixed with clay. Uh, we can go to, to Daniel chapter 2 there, or we can go to Joel 2, where Peter's preaching on, preaching on Pentecost about how God is going to blend all these nations. And there are so many prophecies, very similar words, like Micah and Isaiah sound almost the same, that uh, Jesus was going to come and die, and then his church, the church, the kingdom, would be established. Uh, Jesus prepared his disciples for that in Matthew chapter 16, and at various times throughout his ministry, tried to prepare the people that the old law was going to be fulfilled. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. And that's why in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he'll say, you used to hear it said of old, but now I say. And there's this clear change coming where the old law would be removed, it'd be fulfilled, it's set on a shelf. And the new covenant is the covenant that God holds us to, the standard that he holds us to. So the promises to preserve the seed of David until the time of Christ has been fulfilled. The promise to keep one nation safe alone, to be his chosen people, has been fulfilled. The old covenant, all the sacrifices, all those things have been fulfilled. And so now under the new covenant, there is no longer one nation that is seen as chosen and holy. And we have a lot of religious friends that will take these thoughts from the Old Testament and try to put them into the New Testament to say that those that are Jews are, are still God's chosen people. Um, and they'll say, well, they, they're still safe. They're still saved, even though they may not even recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. And that is in complete contradiction, not only to the New Testament, but to the words of Jesus, who says, I am the way the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. So only by the name of Jesus can one be saved. New Testament makes that clear. Uh, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You'll either do it here or you'll do it there. You can't say, oh, I'm never going to do it. Oh, you will. You will, but do it while you're living. Don't do it when you did. Um, but the Jews had a special place in God's heart. He prepared for them. He spent 4,000 plus years taking care of that family, that nation, that tribe, up until the time that Jesus died on the cross. But after that, all nations now are brought near to God through the blood of Christ. And that's why we're supposed to go preach the gospel to all the nations. Every nation now can be a part of God's chosen family. We can go to 1 Peter chapter 2. We can talk about how we're a chosen nation, a chosen uh, special priesthood. We have a, a role now. Every person is a priest. Every person is an evangelist. Every person is now a part of kingdom living. And so we have specific responsibilities to us. And Paul does a beautiful job of describing how this works in Romans 9. So if you've ever had any questions about how this has changed, this is the chapter you're going to want to dig into. So let's start by seeing Paul's relationship to the Jews, and then we'll see uh, how the changes have taken place from the time of the New Covenant, uh, to old, Co old Covenant to the New Covenant. Chapter 9, verse 1. Since I tell you the truth in Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience also bearing my witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could uh, wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, 
to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. That's the Old Testament promises. Of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. He has put now Jesus in the same equal footing with the Father. And he says, as he begins here, and this is important, if I could die to ensure that my countrymen could still be saved, I'd do it. But all of those promises, all of those covenants, all of the sacrifices, he's going to say now, are no, lo- no longer needed. They're, they're, they've been fulfilled. It's already happened. So now, what does that mean? Uh, now, I notice also he says, according to the flesh, they are my brethren. Uh, don't be confused. There's a couple of instances where people will go, aha, you know, maybe this is where we can prove that Jews are still the chosen seed of God. When Jesus is uh, approaching uh, Paul on the road in Damascus, uh, this is in Acts 9, he says, I need you to go to the city, to the street called Straight, and there'll be somebody there waiting for you, and he's going to tell you what you need to do to be saved. That's Ananias. Well, when Ananias comes into the room and sees Saul, Ananias is a Christian now, he's a New Testament Christian, he's a leader in the church. And he sees Paul, at that time Saul of Tarsus, who is a Jew, he says, brother Saul. And some people go, oh, well, if he's a brother, then he must be, a, as a Jew, he must still be saved. And he must, no, he's telling him what he needs to do to be saved. So sometimes Paul will do that. He'll call the Jews brothers, brethren. And he's not saying that they are all in the same spiritual house. They're not all Christians. He's referring to them as his race, that he is of the same nationality of people that are just like him. He's a Jew uh, by birth. And so uh, there are times that maybe if you've ever been in a foreign country, and I have been before, been to three countries, and uh, you don't mean to, you're trying to fit in, you're trying to blend in, but when you see one of your people, you know, and you see somebody that's an American, hey, you know, I always look for the hats and the shirts, you know, and then, so they see somebody and go, that's, that's, that's one of my people, you know, you're not trying to be disrespectful to anybody of any nation, but it is nice when you talk to someone who's an American, especially when you cross that border and you're coming back into the country in Mexico or in Canada, and you cross over and they say, welcome home, and you want to kiss the ground, because as much as you loved making the visits and seeing the sights, there's nothing like home. And so Paul references that they're still his brothers by blood. They're still of the same race, but he's not recognizing them as followers of God any longer because the old covenant has been fulfilled. So uh, let's look now at verses uh, 6 through 29. And we'll see a little bit about God's grace. It says, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. That's interesting. Nor are they all children because of the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. So he says that even those that are among the seed of Israel, there are still a chosen group out of that group. Verse 8. That is, those who are children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. So it doesn't matter where you've been born and what your background is, if you are of the seed of God, if you're one of the children of Abraham, which he says in previous places that anybody who's in Christ can be a child of Abraham, then that's, that's necessary to remember. Verse 9. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this... 
But when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for, our children, for the children had not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Both were children. Both Isaac, or both uh, Jacob and Esau, were children of Isaac. And so while one has the, the seed kept in him and produced through his, his uh, descendants, both are still children of Isaac. And both are still grandchildren of Abraham. And this is the connection, is that just because we've been kept in one family lineage and we've kept one name for this amount of time does not mean that we're not all still related, right? We will, we will get confused on that. Uh, we, we, we need to remember that every single human on this planet is your relative. We're all cousins. And whether we like it or not, uh, we are all family. We all came from Noah's family. And before that, we all came from Adam and Eve. So he's tying all these people to Abraham, saying they're still, doesn't matter which child it is, they're children of Abraham and they're children of a promise that was given to Abraham that this seed would be preserved until Christ would come. And so you see the grace in it that God has prepared, he has watched over, he has taken care of this one family, but that doesn't mean that all the other families aren't blessed. Verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whoever I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whoever I have compassion. In other words, he can give his promise to whoever he wants, and you and I don't have anything to say about it. He can do what he wills, when he wills, and how he wills. There's absolutely zero input of mine that will help or alter the mind of God concerning those opinions and promises. So when a promise is given, that's great. It was for them, but there are other promises for all. Does that make sense? So it says it's not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy, verse 16. So it is by the mercy of God that promises are given and fulfilled, verse 17. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still ha- he find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? You know, do you, do you expect that um, not, not all uh, Pinocchio puppets are going to talk, right? We know that's, that's uh, sorry to burst your bubble, but that's not real. So how can something that's created tell the creator what to do? Um, he says, you're not going to be able to do that. And so if he'll show mercy to whom he wants, and then he will remove those promises when he sees fit. Verse 21, does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor, another for dishonor? What if God wanting to show his wrath and make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath 
prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. And he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be uh, called sons of the living God. Now let me pause there with, with Hosea's point and say this. There are several times in the Old Testament that we are given clues that God doesn't just talk to the Jews. And, and Pharaoh's a good example of this. He says God speaks to Pharaoh. God actually speaks to several Pharaohs in the Bible. He speaks to seven, uh, several kings in the Bible that were not Jews. They were not Israelites. And there is kind of a shock to our system when we realize that, especially with Abraham, you know, he twice pretends his wife is his sister, and the, uh, the leaders figure out what's going on. And so there were times that God spoke to kings and even spoke to prophets that were not chosen people from the Israel race. And so there is already a clue that God is going to use and show his will of good and mercy towards anyone he wants. And if we don't believe that's true, turn through scripture and see how many times that the people of God turned their backs and he blessed the foreign nation by giving them power, ability, money, uh, and resources to come in and destroy his chosen people. How many times did they get nearly wiped off the map except for a small group. How many times in the Old Testament do we see the Philistines charging in, you know? And the Girgashites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and, you know, all those names that sound like dreaded diseases that we don't want. How many times did God use the Babylonians? Did he use the Assyrians? Did he use the Ninevites to, to punish God's children? So in a way... Paul is arguing God blessed those foreign nations who did not believe in God. He gave them the resources they need to be able to punish or inflict pain upon the Israelites. At that time, he showed them no mercy. Hosea and Isaiah are going to say that several times. And God has shown mercy on those who are not his own. He has given uh, answers to prayer, we might say, to some that are not from his flock. And Jesus makes it clear through his ministry that there are some outside of the, the flock of God that will hear his voice and they will come in. This line of fellowship had been drawn among Jews and Christians in the first century. And there were Jews who said, you can become a Christian, but you've got to be a Jew first. You've got to practice circumcision, and you can't eat certain foods. And, you, and Paul struggles with that in almost every letter. He says, you know, those things are from the old covenant. We're not under that old covenant anymore. So he's, he's showing us by giving us a great dissection of Scripture that there are people in the Old Testament that he blessed and he did good things for that aren't Israelites. And so sometimes when you read the Bible with a, uh, a lens or rose-colored glasses, you only see the things that you want to see. You're not willing to see anything else. So he's asking them, you know, if you think the Jews are the chosen seed still, keep reading your Bible. Hosea says something different. Isaiah, verse 27, says something different. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, which is a promise to Abraham, 
The remnant will be saved, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And, as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us this, a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. Now, think with me, if you will, why did God not choose Esau? It says he loved Jacob earlier but he hated Esau. We do know that there are several times in Scripture that somebody does something and God says, okay, you're not part of the promise anymore. He takes and removes from even among the chosen seed of Israel, he removes the promise. Isaac's first, uh, or pardon me, let back up. Abraham's first son was not Isaac. Why is the promise given to Isaac instead of Ishmael? Because the promise was to Abraham and Sarah's child. Okay, we can get past that. Ishmael, take him off the, the, the schedule, take him off the list. He's not of the chosen seed. It's going to be through Isaac. Okay, Isaac has two kids, Jacob and Esau. Esau's first. Esau's in line. He should get the birthright. Well, why does take it away from him and give it to Jacob? Well, we can say, well, we can talk about the birthright and the fact that he didn't care about it and he was willing to trade it for porridge. And uh, he also stole the blessing. Go back to Genesis 27. But the idea is that God chose, out of the two sons, the younger, just like with Ishmael and Isaac. And he's not done yet, because then uh, Jacob has 12 sons, and it's supposed to be, as with most traditions, the oldest child receives the blessing and the birthright. Well, God removes it, because Reuben takes his stepmother as his own mother while Jacob was in pain, and he removes from him the promise to be able to bring the seed that would bring Jesus. But he doesn't just remove it from him because there are two other older brothers in the, that group of 12, Levi and Simeon. They're, they're number two and number three. Those guys ought to be in line to receive the blessing, right? The, the seed of Christ is going to come through them. And God says, no, you're not going to receive it either because of their sin of destroying Shechem because of their sister Dinah, and it's removed from them. So the fourth son of Jacob, the fourth son of Israel, is Judah. And so the promise, the birthright, the blessing goes not through the three oldest sons, but through the fourth son, Judah. And this happens continually through the book of Genesis. We see not only Judah, but also he has two sons. And the youngest of the two, not the oldest of the two, receives the blessing. And even of those that are not from that chosen seed among the Israelites, God removed blessings from. If you'll look at Joseph, Joseph has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And the youngest son, again, is chosen by Jacob to be blessed and receive greater blessings than, it's, than, than the older brother, uh, even though they're twins. So time and time again, God has, even among his people, taken the seed promise away from this brother and given it to this brother. That's a consistent thing. Jesus is a, uh, you know, he is the Messiah, and he comes through all these different families back all the way to Abraham. But he says, this is coming from, from Paul, God can choose whoever that is. Does it matter? Does that mean of the 12 tribes, only Judah was blessed? Well, no, all the tribes of Israel were blessed, but just through Judah came the seed of Christ. And he's using this not to muddy the water, but to make it clear, if God wants to give a promise to somebody, he'll do it. If he wants to show mercy, he will. And so it would make sense that if God picks and chooses these family lineage to bring Christ into the world, then he would also bless individual families and individuals 
by themselves to be a part of his spiritual family. And he's connecting this because the church is the spiritual Israel. Uh, some will say, well, there's, there's a replacement theory, you know, that the church becomes Israel. Uh, Paul says this. I don't say this. Paul is echoing this thought, and he's proving it through Scripture, verse after verse, that God has always looked after his people, and all of his people, all the children of Israel, are to receive promises and blessings under the Old Covenant. And now the New Covenant, all people can be a part of his family. Uh, another example of this real quickly is in Jonah. J and he doesn't reference Jonah in the, here in the text, but this is a great place to go. So Jonah gets upset. He doesn't want the Ninevites to be saved. You remember the story? Of course, our favorite part is him getting swallowed by the big fish. I think my favorite part is when he gets vomited out on the ground. That, that word there literally means he is, he is propelled out of that fish's mouth onto the sand. So that's disgusting, but it's a funny part of the story. He gets up off the sand, and he does his very best to make his way to town to, to give the message of hope. And in his message to the, the Ninevites is very short. Repent or you're going to die. That's it. And then he goes out to the top hill near and gets a good view from where he is, sitting, basking in the sun, still smelling of, you know, of fish guts. And he sits there on the hill and he watches because he wants the whole city to burn. And God does not burn the city. The few little words he sputtered out to that king in Nineveh were powerful enough to cause the king to have a fast and to tell the whole people to turn to God. Now Jonah gets a nice little plant, comes up on him, and he gets to set in the shade, and he feels pretty good until this worm shows up and eats the plant. And now he's sitting out here in the, in the scorching hot sun and saying, I just want to die, I just want to die. That last chapter, in the fourth chapter of Jonah, God has to have a conversation with him. And he has to remind Jonah that while Jonah's focused on the king and all the bad uh, people that have, have you know, done evil to Jonah and his family, which is true, by the way, the city of Nineveh, the, the, the outside gates, scholars tell us, were decorated with the skulls of the people that they had killed. And they literally drug them there with a hook through, their, through the bottom of their mouth. They loved fish. And so that's why the fish story of Jonah is so important. They'd put a hook through their mouth, and they would literally drag them to their city, the ones that they had spared and not killed on the battlefield. They would kill them and then decorate their walls with the skulls and the bones. So when Jonah makes his way into the city of Nineveh, there are people that he knows, families that he probably knew, that their skulls now decorate that place. You can see why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go, didn't want to go. But God has to remind him that there are children in that city. And God has to remind him that there are animals in that city. And shouldn't he have mercy upon the children and the animals? And that's how the book ends. As God is saying to him, I'll show mercy to whom I want. And we will say, well, they're all evil, they're all wicked. But there are some in that city that were young enough that had a chance, their first memories would be fasting and praying for God to spare them. And God did. Now, they're little kids. And so God will choose to bless whom he wants, when he wants. His elect are, that's his choice, who he wants to, to call to be saved. But God is sovereign. He will be recognized as God, and he is God of all. He is not just God over the Israelites. He is God of all. Uh, and then let's read these last three verses, and we'll take uh, four verses, and we'll take some, some comments and questions. It says, what should we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained the law of righteousness. Why? 
because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. In other words, they, they did not see Jesus as the Christ. Last verse here, verse 30. As it's written, behold, I lay a, in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now, this is where um, I don't know that we could even quite comprehend the, the thoughts that he's given to the people here because we've never experienced anything like this. These people have been told since the day they were born that they are the only race that God loves. They are the only nation that God truly loves. We're going to be blessed. You know why, kids? That's right, because we're the chosen children of God. Why, why is it that you're going to be able to, to be in covenant with God? That's right, because you come from Abraham. And they reminded themselves of this every day of their lives. And now Paul says, your lineage through your family means nothing. It's, it's special to you, but to you alone. Because God's goal was not to preserve one race. It was to preserve Jesus' lineage through that race. He was not trying to save the Jews and Jews alone. There are many times in the Old Covenant, uh, in the, under the Old Law and under the Old Testament, that nations came to God on their own. It wasn't just saving one nation. He tried to save all nations. Uh, the Israelites were supposed to teach. They were supposed to share what they had learned with their children. He tells them, teach your foreigners. You know, when people come in among you, teach them, share. But they didn't. They kept it to themselves. So Paul anticipates this animosity. When Jesus comes and dies for all, and the kingdom gates are opened for all people, there are still people sitting there going, well, that isn't fair. That isn't fair. My family has been safe and, and been alone given the promise of God for 4,000 years. And to date now, they say 6,000 plus years. They say, well, that's not fair. We, we've done all that God required. We, we kept this law and that law. I mean, and, and in fact, Peter wrestles with this a little bit in Acts 10. Whenever God tells him to eat from the sheet, remember the sheet drops down out of the sky and, and, and the Lord says, rise, kill, and eat. And he's like, mm-mm, I ain't never put that in my mouth and you can't make me. You know, three times, mm -mm, I'm not going to do it. And God tries to tell him, don't call it unclean, just rise and kill and eat. I will not do it. And three times he refuses to do what God called him to do. What God was showing him through that vision was that in just a few days, or literally maybe in the next two days, he is going to be standing at the threshold of a Gentile's house. And he's going to still struggle. He doesn't want to go in the door. I always find that story very interesting because Peter knows, right? He's, he's commanded all men everywhere to repent. And this is this Peter, right? Acts 2, we, we've read the sermon. We know what he says. He's, we know what he does in chapter 3. And we know his sermons. Uh, we see his great example in his preaching. But he gets to the threshold of that Gentile's house, and rather than going, the angels have come to you, they've come to me, the, God, the Lord has come to me and give me this vision, and I see I'm here to convert you uh, to Christ. I'm here to baptize you for the mission of your sins. Peter doesn't do that. He gets to the threshold of the door, and he basically says, well, you know I'm not supposed to have fellowship with you, don't you? I mean, you, you know that I, it's illegal by God's law for me to have fellowship with you. He says, even before I come in, you need to be aware of dietary laws. You know, have you ever had people like that? I can come over to eat your house, but you know, I don't eat this and don't eat this and don't eat this and don't eat this. And that's when I usually say, well, let's go to your house instead. Because <laughs> it's hard. People have so many different likes and dislikes. But this is even greater. You see, Peter saw it as a sin to eat at a table with someone who was 
not circumcised because they were unclean. He saw it as a sin from his youth that you don't eat certain foods. And if that Gentile in his house served certain foods, it's not allowed to be on the plate. I have a friend who um, is a a rabbi, a, a, a minister over in Jerusalem. And he's been to the state several times. And he told us that uh, he was in the, the cafeteria of a school visiting here in the States. And uh, they had pork chops on the plates. And he did not eat. And it offended some of the other people. They said, well, you, you're supposed to eat with everybody. He says, no, I can't do it. Can't do it. He wouldn't even eat off the plate that pork chops had been served on. Even though he's a Christian... For thousands of years, his family's told him, you can't eat this, you can't eat this. And even though it's okay, he still can't do it because he's so afraid of all these years of not doing it. You know, his family hasn't eaten pork ever, generations and generations. It's not that he can't, it's just that he physically just won't do it. So imagine being told your whole life that you're special and everybody else is not. Imagine being told you are God's chosen child, not those heathens out there in the world. And now all of a sudden, here comes Peter preaching and saying, hey, all people can come to Christ. It's a wake-up call. And Paul says, I am, I am here to share with you the truth of the gospel, that all men can be saved. Go back to chapter 1, and he has tried to bait, he has tried to leave little clues along the way to chapter 9. He does that as early as Romans 1 and verse 16. He talks about the power of the gospel and that it was salvation was available to the Jew first and also to the Greek so that all men can be saved. Not one chosen race, not one specific family, but all can be saved. And so his, his, uh, his thought is you were the special chosen nation of God. You were. You were God's holy people. You did. You kept the commands. That's fantastic. You did everything that God had commanded you to do, but things have changed. It's no longer like it used to be. Uh, The older we get, the more stubborn we are. We will not give in. had a conversation with some just a couple weeks ago uh, talking about how they refused to get email. I'm not going to do it. You can't make me do it. I don't know how you fill out anything these days because now email is mandatory. You know, like it used to be you could say your first name, didn't have to say your last. Mandatory, you have your last name. And you have to have your phone and email on every form. And so uh, how are you going to do that? Well, I, and I, I know people that for years, I refuse to get a cell phone. I'm not going to do it. I refuse to get a cell phone. And I understand we're a little stubborn uh, like that. But there comes a time where eventually uh, we have to adapt to culture. We have to adapt to changes in technology. So imagine if we're that stubborn concerning new things, what it would be like if you were told since you were a little child, don't ever do this. Don't you ever eat food this particular thing. Don't you eat shrimp. Don't you eat pork. Don't you ever eat a deer. Don't you ever eat rabbit. Don't you do it. Not allowed. And then now all of a sudden, you say, well, that's all been thrown out the window. We can eat whatever we want. You would still be hesitant to do it. You know, you'd be doing it. Um, And so he's trying to prepare their hearts for a change. And he'll talk more about this in chapter 10, and that Jews needed to hear the gospel. Well, if they're already saved... Why do they need to hear the gospel? Paul's argument is that they're lost. And therefore, now that Christ has come, they ignored it. They didn't see it coming. 
Uh, they, for whatever reason, uh, even though Jesus was right there in front of them, they didn't recognize him as the Messiah. And so now he's going to say, there's a transition that's taking place. We're under a new covenant now, and you need to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. So that kind of summarizes uh, chapter 9, and I, I, I kind of look at this section as vindication. That God now has, has, um, has, has taken the, the, the initiative to provide Jesus to the world, and now all come to Christ for salvation. And uh, also, he teaches us how to be right. He does it by his own example, by the way that he lived. And so the scriptures tell us more about Jesus throughout the books. But we are now, if you're a Christian, a part of the chosen seed, the chosen nation of God. And it's not by birthright. Well, technically, I guess you are born again when you're baptized. But, um, but it's not because of where you come from or uh, the color of your skin or what language you speak. All now are a part of God's chosen people. And that really is a lot of assurance to us uh, as Gentiles who are not raised as Jews, but to a Jew, it's going to cause a lot of uh, conflict. And that plays out through the rest of the New Testament. Um, Paul actually will take advantage of his Jewish nation uh, nationality, and he will go to synagogues. Uh, I, I know that if, if you and I were gospel preachers in the first century church, and we were Gentile, we wouldn't do that. We would be scared, but Paul is a Jew by race, by nation, and so he has no problem going to the synagogue services on Saturday. And I would almost guarantee that in those synagogue services, he had permission from the rabbis to meet again on you know, Sunday morning, and he would then talk to the synagogue and teach, and then on Sunday morning he would preach in the same pulpit, if you will. Uh, and that's how he converted a lot of Jews, is he'd sit there with them, he'd through whatever their feast days were, he'd stand there and watch, but then he would use the opportunity to talk about Jesus and the true nation of God. So anybody can come into that special nation at this point. It doesn't matter whether you're born or raised in a certain place or anything like that. It's all, all those requirements are washed away. And praise God that they are, right? That we're not under the old law. Um, we would, can you imagine living underneath that covenant? where you had to, everything you did, there had to be some kind of a sacrifice offered. And you'd be going, what was it again? And you don't have a Bible at home, you have to ask the priest. And say, what, what is it? How many, how many doves, you know, how many, does this, is this, is this going to require a lamb or a sheep? Or can we get away with killing a goat, you know? Is it possible to kill a couple birds instead of killing one of the sheep? You would, you would think through things like that, because everything you did, there was a sacrifice necessary. Whether it be a drink offering or an incense offering or an offering of an animal, it was complicated, and it was meant to be that way because only a few people would follow those rules, and so it made them feel like they were exclusive. But the positive is the negative in this case, that they still thought that they were safe with God without recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, and that is not true. Um, there are a lot of people that we know, friends that we have, that are not followers of Jesus, and we'd love for them to go to heaven. We'd love for them to be saved, but the only way to get to heaven is through Christ. And uh, so it doesn't matter what your last name is, where you live, what you look like. All people can come to Christ now. All right, let's take a few minutes for some questions. Casey, how do you feel? You want to? All right. He is eager and ready. He is excited about this. I think we ought to have some kind of a treat for the people that run the microphone. So we'll, maybe we'll get you a trophy. All right. Um, so let's talk about... Uh, why is it that people still are conflicted with this thought? And again, we're meaning no disrespect uh, towards 
uh, people of any nation, nationality. But why is it people still wrestle with, are the Jews still the chosen seed of God? Anybody know? Why, why do you think that is? Raise your hand. Anybody? Why it's still a struggle? Anybody? That's right. Yeah. Still living in the old covenant, not living in the new covenant. Not seeing that uh, God's plan was to establish his church. Not seeing that from the beginning in Genesis 3.15 it was about the seed of Christ, not of Abraham. And that's a tough one. Uh, Why else do you think it is? People have a, a struggle with this. Now, you may not know about this, but I know that I've, I've dealt with a lot of people from time to time that wholeheartedly believe that the Jews are still the chosen people of God. And, you know, you don't want, again, not to be disrespectful. I know there's a lot of stuff going on in our world, but the covenant of God is made with all men now, not just one nation. Um, anybody else have an encounter you want to share or some thoughts about that particular issue? Anybody? Y'all quiet tonight. Anybody? All right, so let's talk about Paul's point of view. How hard would it be for somebody like Paul to have to teach something new when they've taught this for, they're changing the textbooks here. For, for 4,000 years, they've been told only this family will survive. Paul now has to come on the scene, being from that family, and say, no, that's not the rule anymore. That's not the law. Uh, in fact, if they had read their Bible clearly, they would have known what God really wanted. Uh, Jesus does this a couple times. I, I love, uh, Jesus is a, a master communicator. Brilliantly, I mean, we, I, we don't know what his voice sounded like, but we get a sense from his words and the way he presented himself and his messages. But there's a couple of times that he's in the presence of Jews that are so harsh and he says, why don't you go and read your Bible? Why don't you go and learn what this means? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What God really wanted was a relationship. He wanted to have communion with his people. And they turned that into an exclusive club of followers of God. You know, they would, be, they would be so harsh on people that were proselytes or those that were um, brought in, converted from paganism. They were so hard on them. They never really saw them as fully Jew. In fact, if you decided, as you, as, let's say you're living in you know, 400 B.C. and you hear about the things that God did in the Old Testament, you go, I want to be a follower of God. And they'd say, well, great, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. You go through all the rituals, and they go, all right, well, you're still not a Jew because you weren't born a Jew. So I'll tell you what, we'll make your kid, you know, make you a half Jew. How about that? And that's just so uh, foreign. Uh, it, it sounds so strange. And so as Paul is now trying to teach and convert people, he's saying all that you've been told all these years, that ended. It's a, it, we're under a new law. Um, I hate it when, when restaurants change menus, don't you? You know, well, I want number 13. Oh, well, what's number 13? No, that's not what I want, you know. You've been used to the menu. You've been used to the prices, right? And so I think that now menus at restaurants may change as much as the gas station prices at the road because you go in and you go, how much for that? Things change, right? 
You go to mail in something, pay your taxes. You say, well, how did, it, how did it go up this year? That doesn't make any sense. How did that go up? Things change. And uh, the old law had been fulfilled, so it had changed, completely new. Anybody else have any thoughts about that, about Paul having to teach now a whole generation of people that the Jews were not the chosen seed? Anybody? Y'all quiet. All right, so the best thing to do is to look at prophecy. If you're studying this subject and somebody says to you, I think the Jews are still the chosen seed of God, Romans 9 is a good place to start. But I love how Paul interjects prophecy from the Old Testament. And one of the things that he does is a, a teaching that Jesus taught frequently. And if you've heard me preach enough, you know that the song they sang on the way to the Mount of Olives after the Lord's Supper was probably Psalm 118, which says, the stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. Or it's one of those verses. Uh, and uh, of course, there's also the prophecy of, um, of Psalm 118 that says, you know, this is the day the Lord has made, I'll rejoice and be glad in it. So the prophecies, the psalms that they sang, the mindset of people was that, that the stone that was meant to be the cornerstone, the foundation stone of the church, which is Jesus, that the Jews would reject it. And so, uh, and this is taught throughout Scripture. There would be many who would never recognize Jesus as Lord. Uh, and there are, sadly, people that die every day outside of Christ, and they're lost. Uh, our responsibility is to go teach people about Jesus. And there were people, even in Paul's day, that had lived 60, 70 years under the old law. But it all changed at Calvary. Every bit of it. And so from the moment Jesus died and resurrected, and then Peter preaches on Pentecost, everything changes. You have to be covered by the blood of Jesus, and you have to be added to the church in order to be saved. That's the teaching of Paul. It's the teaching of Peter, the other writers of the New Testament. And that was a shock to their system in that day. It still shocks people. Yeah, Billy? He's coming. Chapter 8, beginning, uh, the whole chapter is about the, give, the law and the a contrast between the new and the old. But in verse 13, he said, A new covenant he hath made, the, in that he saith a new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Mm -hmm. It was ready to vanish away. In the minds of the Jewish people who became Christians, there, there were certain segments of the law that they held on to. That's the reason Paul had to write uh, the book of Galatians, why he written by the Holy Spirit. He wrote Galatians to show them that they're not bound by the yoke of bondage. Mm -hmm. That's the reason in Acts 15 they had to have a conference, a council in Jerusalem, because there were those that were binding circumcision as a condition of salvation on the Gentiles that would want to become Christian. You've got to be circumcised to be saved. That's right. The, the law was still in the process in their minds. And unfortunately, if you read John chapter 5, if I'm starting by verse 39, where Jesus searched the scriptures, for in them you think you have life, and, and they are they which testify of me. He wasn't, that wasn't a command. That was a statement. Jesus said, you are searching the scriptures. The Jews knew the scriptures. They just didn't believe it was Jesus when he came. 
But in John 4, 23, Jesus said salvation is of the Jews. Salvation came through Jesus Christ, and, and the world still doesn't believe it. Back in Genesis 12, God made promises to Abraham. One of them was a land promise. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the reason a lot of these television preachers get on, and they're all excited over Israel. Mm -hmm. I respect anyone. And I respect the Israelites and what's happening to Israel today is abomination to God. Mm -hmm. It is abomination. But they are not the chosen people of God. We are chosen when we obey the gospel of Christ, whether we're Jew or Gentile, whether we're black or white or green or purple. Uh, uh, the, the Jews have, there's some saying that Christ is going to come back and he's going to restore the, uh, uh, the, the land of Palestine and all of that back to the Jews. God doesn't owe the Jews one foot of dirt. Mm -hmm. Go back and read Joshua 23 verses 43 to 45 and we learn there that the promise that God made about the land, they got it. Yeah. They got it then. And uh, so there, there, there's a whole... The, the, I think that we need to respect them, and I think we need to show them that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They rejected him, still reject him, mm -hmm. and there are those that call themselves Messianic Christians. Right. That is, they believe in Christ, and they became Christians. I'm just a Christian. I'm not an American Christian. I'm just a Christian. Right. But if you're a Christian, you're Messianic. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... That's all i got to say That's, right now. Those are great thoughts, and especially when it comes to the land promise. You know, God gave them the land. They lost it. He gave it to them again. They lost it. He gave it to them again. They sinned. He had to send the enemy. They lost it. Page after page after page that they'd have it for a little while, and then they lose it. Um, his respect for them uh, and his, his preservation of their seed is null and void at the cross, because it was to preserve the prophecies of Jesus dying in Jerusalem. And since Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and he dies in Jerusalem, there's no need for that land promise to be given anymore, because the prophecies of Jesus' coming have been fulfilled. So all of those things that are listed there from the Old Covenant, there's no need to follow those things anymore. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.